Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today on episode 90, we welcome Glenn Hopper. Glenn is the Chief Financial Officer at Sandline Global and the author of Deep Finance, Corporate Finance in the Information Age. He is passionate about transforming the role of the CFO to help businesses become high-achieving, data-driven organizations. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. So like we, like we do with our first-time guests, um, you know, we're happy to have you. Why don't you just give us a st- little story overview of your career? Um, take a few minutes and, and like help us understand how those earlier career experiences led up to doing what you do now. I think I'm going to be one of your weirder uh, history guests <laughs> as far as not that any one job I had was weird, but where that it finally got me here maybe is, is unique because uh, I started out um, – and my, my first uh, professional gig was a journalist in the U.S. Navy. And um, so it seems kind of far removed from the world of finance to go from the journalism and PR to that. However, I, I think at each stage of my career, I learned some valuable lessons. And I think that before I even went to business school, learning how to write and communicate effectively are, are a key to everything I've done ever since. So I like to think that while I may not uh, be able to recite tax code from memory, and maybe every now and then I get confused with a, a debit and a credit, <laughs> but uh, but I can communicate effectively what uh, what I'm I'm doing as a finance person, and I really think that that's that's served me well in my career. So. I don't know. I'm I'm old, so if we if we went too deep into my history, I'd talk for the whole show just about what I've done. <laughs> so, so I guess let me. I'll, I'll give you the short version. I, I went from journalism to business school to uh, marketing. Uh, I was a product manager back in the early like the dot com boom era. I uh, had a product that uh, was basically like WordPress, but this was in 1999, so we were kind of ahead of the curve, I think, back then, and um, we. Uh, we're doing great. It was, it was part of a, a suite of products from a telecom company. So I survived the uh, dot-com bust and, uh, and, and stayed in telecom for a few years. And in that, I moved from uh, marketing into finance, which was, uh, <laughs> I think that that ultimately happened because my product was new and not really that understood, and we had no budget for it. So I started really advocating for uh, on the budget side, and I kind of just took over because nobody in marketing wanted to run our budget. So I kind of took that over just as a as a way to hopefully get um, uh, some more control and get some more budget dollars. And so in in so doing, I got to as a pretty junior person be in meetings with senior leadership, and there was some conflict back then. And this is, I guess, the point of why I wrote the book and all that, uh, and and really kind of what's driven me um, through the rest of my career. There was conflict because uh, the, the CFO was busy working with, you know, the, the private equity and VC investors and all that. And he was really focused outside of the company, which left the controller internally, who was a real gatekeeper of information. And it made it difficult for other companies to do their reporting, modeling and all that when you couldn't get access to the information you needed. Um, so long story short, I was really I was advocating for marketing, but the COO thought I need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> meaning meaning one of me and so he uh he poached me from marketing and i was i worked directly for the coo and i managed about a, 
eventually end up managing about $150 million budget and was still running into these roadblocks where there was all this siloed information and we couldn't get access to it. And there's a, I've got a, kind of got an origin story around it, but in the interest of time, we won't go into all the details except to say um, I couldn't get access to information. I, we had some antiquated systems that weren't talking to each other that ended up causing a seven-figure mistake in our uh, in our spend, and it, like a 20% impact on, um, on the overall budget I was managing at the time. And I thought at that point I was either going to get run out of the corporate world <laughs> or I was going to come up with a solution to this. And this was uh, 15, a little over 15 years ago. And since that happened, since I got caught not having access to data and not being uh, able to use it and having to, to deal with gatekeepers. I've just, every company I've been in, I've pushed to full data democratization, full business intelligence, full data-driven decisions. And it's it's become really, I mean, I'm through the vehicle of finance, the, the data and use of it has become my, uh, my life's work, I guess, at least professionally, I guess you could say. This is fun. I love this topic. So I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show because I don't know that we've had that CFO perspective and, and that kind of finance oriented. I know we've had some folks that have, have worked in that space, but I, to me, it, what I love about data, what I love about what I do, because I have kind of that, that CIO mentality of the technology organization kind of growing up there. But it's about solving problems. It's about providing visibility into what's happening in your organization. I often say, like, this is about, you know, data is the closest thing we have to truth in our organization. And truth is is kind of subjective by nature. Like, it's, it's dependent on a perspective. And finance is, to some extent, that same way. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I've had so much interaction and so much of our data is about financial stuff that it becomes kind of essential to have that connection point. And that's where like you're approaching this from that, that perspective. And so I'm, I'm just constant. I have so many questions that I want to ask you right now there. But the, so the, the first thing I guess is how do you, how do you make sense of all of that data that you're presented with? Cause one thing I know about a CFO is that you have so much flow that comes your way how do you at at first just sort through what is worth reacting to and what is worth pushing to the side like how do you get to the the, the real meat of it so it's i mean i guess the the short answer is how you um uh you know you start with what you're looking for and then you know you, you go in and try to find the, the data that relates to that but i the the more elegant answer that i just love and this to me Every time I think about just sort of whether it's the Twitter fire hose of information or, um, you know, just raw data that's coming in, whether it's structured, unstructured, just, you know, flowing in from internal, external sources, live delay, whatever it is, all this data that's coming in, there's a, uh, you probably know this quote, it's from Clifford Stoll. It's a uh, data is not information. And, and I use this so much, I've got it memorized. It's like when we were in high school and had to memorize Shakespeare. You know, <laughs> I've got this one. I'll probably get it tattooed somewhere. I don't know, but, um, but I'll, I'll get it converted to Latin and then tattooed or something. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, the quote is, data is not information. Information is not knowledge. Knowledge is not understanding. Understanding is not wisdom. So to me, that is the stages of data science. And that is as this fire hose of, inf of information or of data comes in, you have to first 
you know, I think you first just take your descriptive statistics and all this comes in and it's like, okay, what does this tell us about our current customers, our current situation? What can we use here? What are some correlations we can find? And we can kind of, this is where we are. And then you kind of go a step deeper to get to the why, to make it, turn it to something informational. Um, and you do sort of the diagnostic uh, analysis of the data. And then you can get into the um, uh, predictive and prescriptive, you know, where so, okay, well, if this is what happened to previous customers, let's apply it to our future customers. And then, oh, we know that if a customer calls into customer service three times in a given month, they're likely to churn away. So what can we do? That a prescriptive action we can put in. So it's really in my, pro in my process when I come in, cause I work with startups primarily. And my mm -hmm. process when I come in is first helping them just <laughs> wrangle all that data and get it. I mean, I, it, I'm not even talking about, you don't even have to build a, a data warehouse or data lake day one, but just know what you have doing, take an inventory and then you can start deciding, okay, well, you know, where do we have, isolated data, competing data, incorrect data, where are their options for mistakes and fat finger. And then once you kind of see what's out there, you th and then you start thinking about, you know, and if you're a data informed company, you know, both the, the questions to ask. And, uh, but I, I deal with companies who are pretty green in this area a lot. So first it's just forget data. Let's just think about what do we want to measure? What are the KPIs? What are the things that drive the success of our company? And then we back into how to measure them. So it's a, you know, it can be a Mobius strip in a circle where you're constantly um, updating information and, you know, updating your models and all that and bringing in new information. And it just, that's why <laughs> we, I'm always with companies that are like on the verge of, and I used to say, uh, digital transformation, but I've learned over the years, you can't say digital transformation anymore because people, when you say transformation, it sounds like a one and done thing and it's never done. So I, the phrase I've been using lately is digital evolution and it's, there's no finish line. It just goes on and on forever. And, uh, in our world, that's a great thing though, cause it means we're getting better, you know, iteratively, it's just continuous improvement. I like that data evolution term that I haven't heard that one before in that context. And I, and I like that a lot. I often say that, you know, this notion of being done with data is like the notion of being done with HR. Like there's always more to do. There's always more that you're going to have to iterate on and new challenges that will present themselves and ways to get better and, and all of that. I, and, and I really liked your, your explanation of kind of that it was a very structured approach of like, how do you work up that escalation all the way to wisdom by building out the right mechanisms to to level up in those in those understanding i will offer a corollary to that because i think that this hits at exactly what you were talking about but is kind of the flip side of the coin and the corollary of that is that it's the math behind spidey sense and the what, what i mean by that is that you're doing different kind of surveys and overlooking things widely and then you find something that doesn't seem quite right. You see something that is like, ooh, there's something there that I need to dig into. And then you go really deep, really fast. And so you, you have all these mechanisms to be able to go broad. And then when you see something out of line, then you go deep. And it's that structure you just explained. Here's how you build that capability. And the Spidey Sense piece is like, Spidey Sense isn't magic. It's about taking these data inputs and realizing there's something here worth digging further into. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, we, we run in the same circles, so we were talking about the same thing and we, and it's funny to hear the, the way that, uh, we both describe them. So mine, the data behind the spidey sense, what I say is hunch to hypothesis. So yep. if you, if you've been in the business world a long time, you know, what's worked for you in the past and you can have anecdotal information, but it's, you know, it's just, it's your spidey sense. I've been doing this business for a long time. I know what works, but man, things are moving 
fast. I mean, I don't know. That may, that's maybe cliche to say things are moving fast. Yes, I get it. Businesses are moving fast, but the, as, as the, you know, I think it's like Moore's law. It's not, uh, we're not just in a linear, it's exponential. So the nature of that is we say it, uh, you know, things become cliche because they're true and business does move fast. And in that case, what you did pr previous, you know, in what you did even, you know, six months, a year ago may not be what you do now. So if you're just acting on a hunch and what's always worked in the past, if you don't have the data behind it and you keep doing it, eventually it's not going to work. Eventually you're going to be Kodak or, or Polaroid or, Block, or Blockbuster, you know, anyone who didn't keep innovating and keep up with what's going, um, then you're, you're going to get left behind. And that's, you know, and that's on the front end of the house end and the, how we're, our data strategy, because people who are properly using data are the ones who are the most making the most effective business decisions right now. Yeah, the the analogy I like to draw on that um on that point is is like sports. Like if you think about the um you know and choose your your favorite major sport, but the games evolve over time. And so the strategies that once worked, even if you're really good at the game, if you are not adapting your strategy to how that game is evolving over time, you will be left behind. You will not be as successful as if you are constantly honing your craft and realizing that, hey, they're throwing new things at me. They've, they're, they're coming up with new strategies to defeat what has worked for us in the past. And that's definitely true in the game of business is that there's always competitive threats. And if you're not at the forefront of a particular area, somebody else will be. And you have to decide, is that a place that you want to invest your energy to be? Or is it strategically more viable to go in a different direction or, or what have you? And that's, you know, it's the beauty of sport and the beauty of business. And, and that's one of those things where like people who are in sports, they're always like, oh, I'd hate to work the nine to five and I'd be so miserable. I'm like, this is my sport. This is what I love. And I'm like, I, I, I feel like I, I'm broken probably, but like, I feel like this is, this is as exciting and interesting to me as sports are to the people that, that really love the, the game within a game of, of, of those as well. And so I, I find that very interesting. I want to ask you, so, and, and I want to have a conversation in a little bit around CFOs and, and chief analytics officers and chief data officers and, and all of that. But first, before we talk about that, because I think it's an important uh, thing to, to preface, is how do you engage or how do you prefer to engage? Because you have experience across multiple different companies and industries. But how do you prefer to engage with that technology organization? Because obviously with data, technology is going to be a part of that equation. And if you're coming from that finance perspective, how do you manage that relationship and that that partnership in being successful with data at an enterprise or an organizational level with those technology folks that you're going to be at, at, at least some arm's length away from? Yeah, and, and partnership is really, when you have a good partnership, that really is ideal because I've, like I mentioned, my origin story <laughs> comes from not having a good partnership. And I've, I've had to do it several times through my career. It's what's nice is I guess, as you go through your career and move up, you get a bigger title and you have maybe a little bit more sway, but even, you know, when you're getting to the uh, CTO or CIO or whoever you're working with, um, you know, on the technology side, I'm never going to be the guy who's sitting in front of a blinking cursor. If that, something's gone horribly wrong, if some company expects me to <laughs> write code or, uh, you know, write, even write a SQL query. But that said, I've, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And at previous times in my career, I, I have done both. And I think, so my approach, I think this is where my eclectic background comes in handy because 
if I'd always only been in finance, it would be really hard for me to understand the sort of <laughs> trials and tribulations that other departments go through. And I'd only see the world through my finance lens. And But because I've uh, worked in marketing and worked in operations and I've done some entrepreneurial things, um, so I've kind of seen all aspects of the business. I've, I've managed developers before. Um, I know that if, that I need to understand what's going on in technology. And for that reason, I, I always say I know enough, uh, I know enough Python or R or, or uh, going back in the day, PHP and JavaScript and stuff I did a million years ago to be dangerous. And it's not because I've ever necessarily, I, I wish I were a better coder, but it's, ne it's never been my li life's goal. But what it does do and has done for me in my career is at least gives me an understanding of what the ask is. You know, if you take a, a basic CS course in undergrad or even online now, you know, you could, but um, just to understand what you're asking people to do and what's possible and what's not and sort of just understand level of effort because when you come to people as, as a partner and you know what you're looking for and you know the work that it's taking to get there and you're saying instead, hey, go do this to me. I've got to have this so I can get the numbers instead. We're, this is a partnership. How can we go about this? And that's that's the way I've always approached it. And um, it's it sometimes um, gets strange because because I'll venture out not just into the technology side but also into the operations side because I know there's data out there in the operations side that I don't want that siloed. If there's or, or even in on, in sales, if there's leads and prospects that are at the very front end in the CRM and there's information about them up there that I can help use for my modeling, then I'm going to go cozy up to the CRO and, and say, how, hey, how can we get access to the, uh, the data up front there and the same in oper operations and all that. So it's really, I think it's imperative in it for the entire management team to understand where you want to go with this data-driven strategy and to knock those silos down and, fig and understand that the way we're going to be successful is if we're all sharing all the data across the company. So partnership is really, really key. I, I agree. And, and you've gotten me to change the question I was going to originally ask you. And so if you'll bear with me for a second. So originally I was thinking to think, okay, loosely speaking, we're, when we think about the, the responsibilities for data, where does the chief data officer go as a shorthand for that? Like, where the data responsibilities are, I'd say in the organizations that I say, maybe a third of them go to the technology as where the CDO goes, uh, maybe a third of them go as, as uh, the finance organization, and then about a third of them go everywhere else to, to whatever they do, sometimes operations, sometimes um, just straight to C-suite. But um, there, there's far fewer of those than I think the bulk go to either technology or finance. I was going to ask you, like, where do you think it should go? But that, that question now bores me a little bit, because what I think and what you were just talking about and kind of what even going back to, to your original intro, you know, you see data as this um, kind of silo traversal or, or something that has to flow between the silos of an organization. And I have this hypothesis that one of the reasons that we are struggling to figure out where data goes in the organization. Like, like, how are we having this conversation? Like, we don't know. Like, we have all this debate on this thing. But the my hypothesis is now, like, I think our organizational structures are not well suited to this thing called data that needs to traverse across all these different silos that we've created. We don't know how to do this and get that data to play across all of these things. And we're trying, we're literally even trying to fit data into our silos and by its nature it's not going to fit so my question for you now is well a do you agree with that kind of core hypothesis and, and b what what do we do about that do you think 
Yeah. So actually, I just gave a presentation on this the other day, and it's um, where the first my, when I first had my first my business intelligence team, we actually it's when I um, I was under operations, um, but un, operations being a big part of the company, um, we had the, the the that company's first business intelligence team, and we we ended up growing to about thirty people. And uh, this was back in the days of crystal reports and all that. But then, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it was a mess. <laughs> and our, I think about now going back to, we finally, we, we got, uh, after that issue that I talked about that sort of is my origin story, we got the, the CEO and the CFO to uh, basically instruct, give us access to all the data that we needed. And then we started, and then that was the, the genesis for building this business intelligence team. Um, and we did, we did in that instance, we did everything but sales. Sales hung on to theirs and we couldn't, I, by the time I left the company, we still hadn't gotten everybody in, but all the operation stuff and the finance stuff were in, in lockstep. So um, that was, you know, that's just where my first business intelligence team came from and use of data. But back then I had, you know, I had several crystal reports guys. We had a lot of people with, you know, in DBAs and we had people that had access to the data, but every day the, the queue of new report requests were coming in and it was like, we we're never going to get these finished. And, you know, we'd look at the backlog and I don't know if we were doing agile back then or what it was, but we had a um, pretty long backlog and people would say, Hey, I requested that report three weeks ago. Uh, when am I going to get it? And I go back through and I think, I don't know, you know, two more months. I don't know. And it's like, you know, and I just said business moves fast and we, we became this backlog. So one of the guys on my team, we, uh, it was, it became about, why do they want, why do they need canned reports from us? People should just be able to, and I'm, I'm not saying it should be limited uh, by people who can write SQL queries. It, however easy we can make this to people to get the data. So it goes back to that quote too. It's like, here's, here's everything, put your own report together. And we were, when I ended up leaving the company, we were uh, still kind of building that out. This was still pretty early and you know, there weren't as many dashboards and Tableau wasn't a thing yet and everything. So it was a little bit more difficult, but now that is as much easier, but that was my sort of just hacking through and figuring it out as we went. But since then, I went back to school after that and uh, a million case studies and you start to see the way other people have done it. And the one that impressed me the most was Target's data science team. When Target went into business intelligence and data science, they did this embedded method where they would have, there was a, I don't know if it was the chief analytics officer, chief data officer or, or what the title was, but the team went down and then they just embedded people across all the departments. So they rolled up functionally to the chief data officer, but they were, because they were working with sales, operations, HR, finance every day, they knew the needs of those groups and the, the common vernacular. And then they could, when they had their standups or weekly meetings or, or, or whatever it was, they could say, oh, finance needs this information because they're trying to model out you know, our next quarter convert pipeline to sales. And then the guy who's embedded for the sales team says, oh, well, here's, you know, here's what the information we have here. And then once you have that, like, cause you've got to have domain expertise, but you've also got to have the technical skill. And to think that mm -hmm. you're going to find someone naturally in every department that has the technical skill to, uh, to do data science is just, that's, that's overly wishful thinking. But if you, then on the other hand, what we're just talking about silos, if you just have you know, all the data people roll up to the uh, CIO or CTO, or, you know, if you're big enough and you have an analytics or data officer, great, but then they're not gonna, 
they're not going to be at the front line. So they're just, they're basically just hearing the request. So I like the idea of, you know, living and eating with the team that you're going to be supporting, but then still having that cross-functional. And that's what seems like to me opens up the uh, um, data for all organizations the best. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I don't see any better approach than having some of that embedded because because the business functions are siloed for a reason it's not like silos are always bad you need that separation and that dedicated function to do the very specific work in that function like that's by design that's that's good but as the data needs to flow and and what gets interesting in practicality like when you actually try to implement that strategy of having the embedded resource and like building up some domain knowledge alongside the technical skills and, and really being that that counterpart. It, it can be challenging from a resourcing perspective because you either need to have enough scale that a dedicated resource can do that or you're going to be spreading people kind of thin and you're going to spread them thin either across multiple domains or across multiple functionalities because then you say, okay, well, we only have X amount of data scientist skills in our entire organization but we have all these different needs. And so then you can start doing things like business analysts or data analyst types of folks that are embedded. And then they can, and even if you do data scientists, you could have people that understand how to do the reporting, but that still needs to inform a bunch of data management practices and things like data quality or master data and like all the kind of heavy lifting side of data to build these platforms that people then can use for the analytics purposes. Because analytics alone isn't your data landscape in its entirety. You have a lot of building blocks that lead up to being able to do data science, even though data science is where you make that connection to that, that business. And so all of this complexity we are trying to do both with an appreciation of that functional alignment, which also plays in the data space. Like we need to have that functional specificity because we got data work to do that isn't domain specific. That's just data technology or data, um, you know, management fundamentals and, and things like that, that will cross um, in implementation and throughout the organization. But then you also have this need to really kind of get that data to flow across silos. And, and so the question that I would have, because one of the things that we want to talk about is the, the CFO as a chief analytics officer, does this materially change our organizational structures in the end? Or is this an overlay to what we've traditionally done? Or how does this come together potentially in the office of the, the CFO to be managed as a, and I would imagine you would agree that this data stuff is a strategically viable part of our organization. Like this is an important part of our competitiveness as a business. That's certainly going to be the purview at some point of, of the CFO. So how does that come together? So this, this is a, a tough question and it's, and it's not about, let me build my kingdom and, you know, oh no, I, I want this because you know, uh, I, I need more power. I need to control this and all that. And and you mentioned the, a very important distinction between, you know, I'd say it's between a chief data officer and chief analytics officer. So analytics is just, you know, you, I don't care how, I don't care what the pipeline is, how it gets to me here. Let me have the information. Let me do the data science on that. But to be, you know, but data is more than just the, the business intelligence that's done on it. So someone has to own um, the, uh, you know, InfoSec, information governance, the 
the, the mechanics of are we in the cloud? Is it some kind of Hadoop cluster? Or I don't know if anybody's using Hadoop clusters anymore, but I, um, a million years ago we were. Uh, but like somebody's making those decisions, and if you've got a finance guy making those decisions, then uh, you, probably something has <laughs> has gone wrong in the company. But limited resources, and who's going to own this? So there's, and it goes back to that partnership and the question that you asked me about, you know, getting along with the technologist. It's got to be seen. It's got to be a shared mission because if there's a turf war, then and somebody ends up winning, it could be the wrong person. It could be, you know, if if the sort of information governance and, and the mechanics of it fall into the wrong person, then then you have a real security risk and uh, or you know just loss of data risk or there's all kinds of problems that happen there if you don't have the right domain expertise there. But then if it is just an IT issue, then who's going to control who gets access to what data. So it's got to be driven from the top down. And it's got to be, that means that more senior people who are not technologists have to embrace this and become technologists because how can you, it, you talked about the data behind the spidey sense, but even to make the decision, you have to understand what you're making a decision about. Now, I wonder now how much trouble there is at some companies if you have more senior leadership teams that are not technologists, like, and they don't see this big picture. Are they the ones that are going to get toppled because they just didn't see the wave that was coming? And I think I rambled on a little bit. I didn't quite answer the question, but I, just, I think just adding to it, it is a difficult concept. And I can, I know what I'm going to argue for, you know, the, the parts of it that I want, but I think it's going <laughs> to right person, right seat. Like, I think it's, going to be unless you're a company with infinite resources and can hire exactly what you need and you've got this you know you're a you're a fang company or, or whatever and you can uh, really structure it the way you want otherwise there's going to be compromises that are made so you've got to kind of see who are the what are the skill sets we have what are the teams that work together well and how can we position them together so every time i've done this it's been a, a hybrid a one-off it is kind of reinventing the wheel every time which i hate that i want to be process guy i want to say always do this but it's just there's so many variables you, you can't you know it it, it 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 hits on something like we all have these you know supercomputers in our pockets now right and we all have become data experts to a point like our, our data consumption as individual in our personal lives has really increased right and this is something that keeps coming up. It's like, while we've become very sophisticated data consumers, and, and that certainly translates to our expectations in the corporate world, where I'm seeing this chasm is that just because we understand how to use data or maybe can't handle some of the analytics piece. And so maybe there is an opportunity for, for our senior leaders and organizations to have more at least analytics abilities without necessarily going to the code level, where I'm seeing a real disconnect is that just because we know how to consume data better, it doesn't mean we have become a lot better at nurturing all of those steps that lead to being able to use the data. And there's a lot of that stuff, that data management piece that and, and technology creation piece that goes into creating these sophisticated data platforms that we're using all the time as individuals, but then expect to have at our organizations. And we're like, why don't we have this? This is unacceptable. Well, it is unacceptable, but we haven't groomed the talent to build these things. It takes a lot more to build it than to use it. And yet our expectations have, have somewhat um, you know, become out of whack. And, and it, you know, as we think about some of these organizational structures and, and the CFO, and like I'm in, like CFO as the chief analytics officer, I can buy into that because to me, 
for very long, I think there's two groups in an organization that probably use data more completely and creatively than anyone else. And not to say that the other groups don't, but like, I think these two are at a higher level and that's the, the finance organization and the marketing organization. I was going to say I think the yeah. finance organization has a need for data, um, quality and and precision that is in excess of a lot of times of what the marketing organization needs but the marketing organization is well equipped to understanding some of the nuance of data and some of the challenges with imperfection or, or uh, unpredictability and all that you bring those together that's great and a lot of times i think the marketing organization the finance organization are going to sit relatively close and your career is no um exception in that you have that kind of background and in, in both so I, i'm with you on the on the data use side sit it in, in the finance organization on the technology side and that's where i grew up i think we messed up like 40 years ago because we thought oh these chief technology officers that we do have are too focused on the infrastructure and and the technology widgets and all of that we need to create the cio which will have a much bigger purview and what we did is we created a new title and made them responsible for all the same things that the CTO was doing. And now we're like, we messed up. We have more power now. We need to do more with this data stuff. The CIO is not quite doing it. Let's create the CDO position. And I'm like, guys, really what we did here, and this is why I'm so a fan of your chief analytics officer as the CFO, is that really... If we stick to the terms that have been established, I don't think it's a question of should the CDO report to the CIO. I think it's should the CIO report to the CDO. Because frankly, that overlay of the chief data officer, that's where the value is. That's where the competitive advantage is. The technology is more commoditized. We're all tapping into the same cloud. Like we all have the AWS accounts like Redshift and all that. Guys, we all have it. We all have it. So that's not the competitive differentiator anymore, but the data is. And so if our, if our data lead that also owns the technology group is sitting at a level where they are, are, are a technology-oriented colleague of the chief anal analytics officer, and, and depending on the organization, that may be a peer or that may be reporting into them or what have you. I'm, I'm open to a lot of those nuances, but I think the technology organizations, and, and you know, we've had a long history of broken technology organizations in our companies, you know, to the point where we're like, let's outsource it all. And so now we're, we're doing things that just are counter to what we need in our businesses. I think if we can unite that as a strategic component, the data technology side of the house, and that encompasses all of the technology side of the house. And we do that alongside the business data strategy side, which orients from the CFO down. I think maybe we're on to something there. How does that resonate with you? Do you think that makes sense or, or do you think there's holes in that? Uh, no, that and that's that's sim I mean that's kind of where we've fallen in, in companies uh, where I've been. I do think that on the technology side, I mean it's just um, without the partnership, it's, it can still be difficult to get the data. But let's let's say that is is smoothly working. We're all in lockstep here. We understand it. I think that the analytics part can go to because I don't think it's it's maybe too much. You were talking about being stretched too thin, either too too deep or, or too broad uh, or too wide. Um, I think that the expectation that your uh, data scientist is also a data engineer, you know, especially at a senior level who's driving this is, is not really oh, yeah. gonna, gonna work. So if once you handle the technology piece, the other thing that I see is um, in, in my career in finance, I've been responsible um, 
first, you know, just on the operational side, but as a CFO in every company where I've been, I've been responsible for the KPIs for all the organizations. And it's because it starts out selfishly with me trying to get the data for my modeling purposes. But then if the CFO, if finance is the trusted arbiter of historical information that goes to investors, that goes to the board, that goes to the management yeah. team, and and we as finance people are not protective of any group, we're there just to provide the report card, then mm -hmm. it makes sense that the analytic, and also we're, uh, finance people are analysts at heart. I mean, we, you know, we've all taken statistics mm -hmm. and we, most of us don't know, you know, how to use R or, or Python or, um, you know, we may not know, um, you know, but actually more and more they're using Tableau now, which is doing a lot more cool stuff than we could do in Excel. But there's, I think we all still kind of default to Excel, but regardless of the technology that's out there, we have been doing uh, business intelligence for before we knew what it was called. So having that fall under the finance group, it, it just makes sense to me because it can be tied to the modeling, it's objective, and it you know that uh, the information is gonna be, uh, you know, you pick the source of truth for whatever the information is and that you know that if you don't have one person or one group that's responsible for it, you know, sales may use it one source of truth for their, the way they analyze their pipeline and finance uses another. And then you've got numbers that don't mix up and then you have corrupted data and then data driven decision-making with bad data is like shaking one of those magic eight balls and, and asking it. So, yeah. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to ask you something. It, it, a thought came to mind because we have, you know, our audience for, for data leadership lessons is some technical, some data management people, a lot of senior leaders, a lot of entrepreneurs or, or what have you, but there's definitely some uh, CFO types or finance leaders um, out in that audience. And one of the things that when back in my consulting days, you know, I would often hear is our data is terrible. We can't trust anything and our, our data is awful. Like, and that's just kind of this blanket statement. But I think that's the feeling that a lot of folks have as they're looking at the data in their organizations. They're like, we have so many problems. I have no idea even where to start. And it's got to be difficult, I, you know, especially in a finance organization where you're like literally like liable for this being accurate. And you're looking at the inputs. You're like, I can't trust any of this. I'm sure you've been in that situation because that's just situations everywhere. Like that happens a lot. How do you start? to chip away at something like that? Cause it's great when you've solved a lot of these problems, you're like, yes, we've got it. We know how we're doing this or whatever. In those early days, man, it's frustrating. How do you, how do you get going on solving that kind of big picture problem around data trust? Yeah. So I would, <laughs> so I would, uh, I would date myself with this, except I learned about it way after the fact, uh, but it still says the fact that I'm even using this term that I'm pretty old because, uh, but I'm finding that everything old is new again. So That's right. at my last company, I started out as a consultant, then became CFO, then became CFO slash COO. And the way mm -hmm. that happened is I was, I was brought in to sell the company and I had, I knew I was going to have to stand up to an audit from our auditors, probably a quality of earnings report, ended up having to go through both of those. I was coming into a company that had had some ups and downs and had a fractional CFO and a lot of uh, rolling people coming through. And I thought this data is going to be a mess. <laughs> and so I came in and I knew I had a timeline and it was, you got to get this company sold. We've got to, uh, you know, be able to package this up. And I thought, and I looked at the state of the finances and I, I thought, well, we're, nobody's, you know, this is a mess. We're, nobody's going to um, buy us if they see that we don't can't control our own situation. So 
I did, I created this uh, thing and I probably should, it's probably like another book in, in this too, but I took the, uh, the basics of an ISO 9000 audit, which is not that I want the company to become ISO 9000 certified, but that was just an, you know, it was a, stand, a group of standards that were sort of total quality management based. And it was, I went and sat down, introduced myself to the finance team, understood what they did, brought them with me. And we sat with account reps we from the early side of sales we sat with marketing we talked about the first customer contact what happened here what data do they have in systems and you start uncovering things like oh well so-and-so just keeps that in a spreadsheet on their personal computer <laughs> someone else has it in a google doc and all that and you so but i i really i want to see the end to end what happens and i link the i think i link data use and automation together because when i look at all these silos and where things are, and I see people re-entering data. So if you have a, a CRM system up front and you get all this customer data and then you win the customer in that, and instead of pushing that through to the next system, someone's manually rekeying that, that's an opportunity for mistake. Mm -hmm. That means oh, yeah. if there, there's information in there that's gonna be lost, there's no UUID that goes between from one system to another. So um, it's, you know, you don't know. So then what happens is when that information doesn't come over from early on, somebody anecdotally or they remember something and plug it in or whatever the case is. And so you, then you have truth of source problems. Or if you calculate, you know, how long it took to install service one way in one system and one in another, what's the truth of source? But if you uh, are source of truth, if you go back and monitor it from beginning to end and I, I went through every department every a representative from everybody in the company or multiple representatives depending on the group and went through to okay now we have the customer now we're invoicing them uh, now here's where they churn away eventually or whatever and, and go through all that and I think you first identify the process and then you apply to so coming up with that source of truth and what data you can uh, rely on once you've mapped out the process you know that okay for installs we need to use this project management systems dates not the dates that are in the CRM because they're they're clicking off on two different things and once you know that truth of source that's when you can start architecting what your uh, data warehouse is going to look like or whatever so um, so it's a it is a you know you talked it's funny you talked about being passionate about this and you know this being the the, the same fun as, as sports to you and I get that and I think that what I just talked about, I mean, there's probably a lot of listeners saying this sounds brutal, but then when you see what's on the other side, but then you think, oh my God, but I could have a, a vision of what it was from end to end. Then that's the kind of stuff that makes you excited. It's like, I've just orchestrated the uh, play that's going to win us the game. You know, it, it, it feels like it, but you've got to put in all the work beforehand. So it's a grueling process. And I'm, I, I got to say, when I come in, I'm probably, uh, not a lot of people's best friends when I'm bugging other departments to walk me through exactly what they do. But then when you start getting some small victories, so you go through that process and you find where bottlenecks are and where there's gatekeepers and where there's bad data and you do something to smooth that out and they start seeing the value of moving to this automation, having the better data, then that's how you can start winning support for kind of this digital evolution. Yeah, we're already out of time, but there's one more question I want to ask you before we close out. And that is because we've covered a lot of ground in our conversation today. Uh, I'm curious, what, what ground does your book cover? We haven't really talked about your book in particular. What what does that, that cover in terms of, of uh, the book itself? Yeah, so I wrote it. Um, first off, I wrote it. I didn't even realize 
that this was going to be my focus, but it's where my career has been. So it's, it's mostly geared towards small, mid-sized businesses. I, I don't mean like mom and pop, you know, that small. I mean like, you know, under 50 million in, in revenue people that ha have enough that can have some kind of data strategy, but they maybe haven't been exposed to it before. So hmm. it's, uh, but I think I've really had a, a niche in the, in the podcast circuit talking to uh, startup people and to tech people. And I think in some ways to, uh, you know, companies, uh, that are all the way up to maybe even a hundred million dollars because they're still, we, you know, regardless of the size of your company, this is still relatively new and people who started their careers when I did may not, um, really know where to get started. So the book basically talks about, um, what finance does as analysts and, you know, thinking about the kind of tools that we've used in the past and then. It, I pause and I, I spend a good section of the book trying to simplify what AI and machine learning are, even though even state of the art right now in finance is state of the art AI is, is really RPA is, is primarily. But, you know, there's big companies that are already using more machine learning and we're getting there. It's, it's just we, we need more data. And I think that, that's a whole other show is my plan for a uh, what small businesses could do to, to try to start aggregating some some data to be able to. Uh, yeah compete with their larger companies. But the book goes through and it says, okay, here's what we do as accountants. Here's what AI and ML can do. Here's what RPA can do. And here's how we could convert some of the things that we've always done to a more automated approach and to what kind of results we'd given. So I call it a, a you know, a digital evolution roadmap. It is, and it, uh, but it is for people to make it accessible. So you don't start coming in and talking overly technical about, you know, what you're going to do with a random forest or <laughs> K means, or, you know, K nearest neighbor, you know, we, we don't, yeah. I, I put them out there though, because I think it's interesting to, you know, know what these are, but we're not just expecting that you're going to use this day one. So, and sure. I, I talk mostly about, you know, building because for finance people, if you didn't come up in this business intelligence analytics world, you don't, you know, you may not know the different roles that are out there. So I, I define the team that you need to put together. I talk about embedding versus, uh, you know, an organization that stood up on its own. And I really, in a lot of ways, um, and I could ramble on this forever, but I know we're, we're running short on time. I talk about why as finance leaders, you need to start thinking like this because any finance function you could think of, whether it's accounts payable, accounts receivable, um, bank reconciliations, I could probably go on Google right now and in five minutes find an off-the-shelf system that will automate something that a person needs to do. So if the finance function wants yeah. to be relative, rele relevant and wants to provide something to the company of value, it's not going to be in looking backwards anymore. It's going to be how do you take all this information you've collected and provide insight going forward. Awesome. Well, Glenn, before we go, what's what's the best way for folks to find you? So LinkedIn is, I've got a Twitter account, but I think like my mom and two other people follow me. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't, and not much on that, but I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And my, uh, my daughter told me that if you uh, Google me, I'm, I'm like a, a, a finance celebrity. I've, there's <laughs> pages on pages of, of results from all the podcasts and everything I've done, but uh, and I've got a website and stuff, but I, I uh, really LinkedIn is the one that I'm, going to check just about every day. So if anybody wants to reach out to me there, um, that's definitely the place to go. That's great. Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Anthony. 
And thank you all for joining us today. As always, you'll find more information and links in the show notes. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. Thank you.